Um, I'm Paulette Jones Moret. I'm a member of the class of 1974. My name is Ann Brown. I was a member of the class of 1974. Uh, my name is Barbara Lynn. Uh, I was at UVA as Barbara Golden. In 1970, the University of Virginia began to admit women into the College of Arts and Sciences, becoming one of the last public universities in the whole United States to co-educate. I'm your host, Giovanna D'Oliveira, and you're listening to Gritty Women, a mini-series that explores the history of UVA's undergraduate coeducation, the factors that influenced it, and the experiences of women when they finally got to grounds. For those non-UVA people listening, grounds is what students and faculty call the UVA campus. This podcast is about the university's decision to open its doors to women. But more importantly, it's a story about change. Change within educational institutions, change within the courts, and change within society. In this episode, we will focus on UVA itself and the institutional decision-making that paved the way for co-education. Before we begin, it's important to remember that UVA had admitted women into its graduate programs and professional schools in 1920, but it remained male-only at the undergraduate level. When people think of UVA's decision to admit women into the College of Arts and Sciences, they often think of the lawsuit filed in 1969. But the reality is, talk of coeducation was happening years prior. Edgar Shannon, who was president of the university at the time, Uh, was a very progressive guy. He had really pushed for a number of years to get co-education approved. That's Ann Brown, who you heard from in the introduction. Ann was in the first co-educational class. I know from talking over the years to Ernest Earn, who was the dean of admissions when our class was admitted, uh, and he'd become dean in 1967, and he only agreed to do that because Edgar Shannon promised him that the university would coeducate, and that was something Edgar was Edgar Shannon was working towards. Remember that name, Ernest Earn. We'll hear from him in a little. Although many public universities had already admitted women, many elite institutions, especially the Ivy Leagues, had separate women's colleges. Harvard's was Radcliffe, Columbia's was Barnard, and UVA's was Mary Washington. But Mary Washington was meant to serve as a teacher's college, and unlike Radcliffe and Barnard, it didn't share a campus with its male counterpart school. In fact, Mary Washington is over 70 miles away from UVA. That's about an hour and a half long car ride. So, co-education at the University of Virginia would be intrinsically different than at other colleges because it would result in a physical change. It would require men and women to be in the same classes to live on the same campus. Starting in the 1960s, administrators at these elite institutions began to consider the possibility of co-educating. UVA was very much a part of that discussion. And in May of 1967, the president of the university, Edgar Shannon, appointed a special committee to study the admission of women into the College of Arts and Sciences. This committee was led by a French professor named T. Braxton Woody and became known as the Woody Committee. In 1968, the Woody Committee released a report ultimately recommending that the university admit women. 
I'm going to have three different current undergraduate women each read the three findings presented by the committee. The present structure unfairly discriminates against women by denying them the opportunities presented by attending the College of Arts and Sciences at Charlottesville. The quality of academic life in the University at Charlottesville would be strengthened by co-education. Admission of women to the college would raise the overall level of the student body, give it a new intellectual dimension, and at the same time give new vigor to some branches of the curriculum. The social life of students of both sexes while at the university would be improved. Moreover, co-education would better prepare the students for the relationships of later years. People supported co-education for different reasons. Some believed that the university had a legal and a moral responsibility to end sex-based discrimination. Others placed an emphasis on the institutional benefits that admitting women could afford to UVA. In either case, support was very much in favor of co-education, and the voices of dissent, although they were loud, were few. I sat down to talk to Ernest Earn to learn more about the internal conversations that were going on within the UVA administration. Ernest, who goes by Ernie, was the Dean of Admission from 1967 to 1973. I also spoke to his wife, Petty, who you may also hear in the background. Uh, came here in 62 to teach what was then called geology now environmental sciences, and did that full-time for six or seven years, and then I became assistant dean of the college. And then the decision was made that the University of Virginia would co-educate, and so they asked me to become the dean of admissions. I didn't know anything about the admissions game, and so Pity and I spent the summer at Harvard in Cambridge learning. Came back, and that's how that process got underway. Still played with my stones and dirt. Love my geology. Yeah, absolutely. And what specific role did you play um, as dean of admissions? Did you kind of get to have like the last word about which females to admit? Yeah, we had a uh, five-member staff in the admissions office, deans, plus secretarial support. So I had the final say. So I became the godfather. <laughs> he signed the letters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did sign the letters. <laughs> but we, we all had a say. All had a say. And we had... Uh, women on that staff, and women at that time, or up to that time, were few in number around here. Ernie told me that most administrators, faculty, students, and alumni ended up supporting co-education. Still, there was opposition. We did have, and he'll go nameless, a member of the admissions staff who did everything under the sun to prohibit women from being considered as viable candidates. Are you familiar with Kent School in Connecticut? He was at Kent Boys. And he said, Ernie said, I just don't have the time this afternoon to 
meet my appointment at uh, Kent Girls because there is so much interest in UVA by men. And I said, well, that's great. I said, uh, pack up your bags and come home and we'll talk about your job status when you get here. True story. Oh, yeah. Did you fire him? I did fire him. He's moved to another office. Yeah, he was moved. He was a bachelor, died a bachelor, still never accepted co-education, right up until the very end. So he was not going to be changed. What about from alumni? What was, did most alumni support co-education? Was there a lot of pushback? Well, the, the hardcore alumni were not overjoyed with the decision until they engaged their brains and realized that they had daughters. It said, hey, wouldn't it be neat if they had the experience that I enjoyed in Charlottesville? And they eventually came around. Very quickly. Yeah, they did. Yeah, very quickly. And the president, Edgar Shannon, he was very on board with co-education yeah. as well. Five daughters. <laughs> it's important to recognize that the support of President Edgar Shannon and other administrators like Ernie was completely instrumental in bringing about coeducation. These institutional actors made admitting women a priority for the university. Slowly, coeducation became the obvious next step for UVA. But it wasn't just motivated by a commitment to women's equality. The decision to admit women was also a rational and self-interested one. Coeducation gave UVA a competitive advantage against the elite colleges that were exclusively male. By enrolling highly qualified women, UVA could raise its academic status and slowly weed out what people called at the time the happy bottom quarter, or the swath of men at UVA who received below average grades and were generally more preoccupied with partying than with their classes. That in the main, the women presented stronger credentials than the men who were then applying to UVA because our competition was almost exclusively up to that point with the Ivies. And that, you know, that's tough competition uh, for a public institution. Then suddenly we had the advantage because so many of the Ivies were still single sex. So we began to roll and became selective, more selective. And once we did that, the trend continued. Did you catch that? Women presented generally stronger credentials than the men. Women made UVA more competitive, more prestigious. Women strengthened UVA's image as a public ivy. Guidance counselors at secondary schools became instrumental in spotting these highly qualified female students and urging them to apply. What this all goes to show is the level of institutional support behind coeducation. Administrators saw the advantages of admitting women 
and faculty, especially those who had previously taught at co-ed schools, knew that female students would raise the quality of education at the university overall. Opposition was usually strongest among alumni and some of the upperclassmen. They viewed UVA as Thomas Jefferson's university for Southern gentlemen. They didn't want the university to turn into just another state U. This kind of traditional sentiment is reflected in the notorious Honor Committee study, which was included in the Woody Committee report. The study relied upon the findings of a William Bowers at Columbia University, and it stated that there were fewer instances of cheating in all-male universities than in co-ed schools, since single-sex schools tended to be intellectually oriented, while co-ed schools were supposedly socially oriented. The students of the Honor Committee wrote the following. Co-education will hurt the honor system and thus should not be recommended. As Mr. Bowers said, an honor system at a co-ed school is slightly less than half as effective as an honor system at an all-male school. This would certainly then imply that it was not in the best interests of our honor system to change from predominantly all-male to co-educational. The Honor Committee study would become notorious in UVA history for its implication that women were not as honorable as men, or that they were more social and less academic than men, and therefore threatened the academic integrity of the university. Fortunately, the Woody Committee did not find the Honor Committee study to be that persuasive. Neither did many of the students. In fact, most students did not find any form of opposition to be that persuasive. So far, the only opposition to co-education that I've been able to find has been emotional and quite irrational. You're hearing a letter written by engineering student Richard O'Ryan, which appeared in the Cavalier Daily on November 6, 1968. I've been given such reasons as, if girls were admitted, they would make better grades and ruin the curves. As if, you don't see them during the week, you appreciate them more on the weekend. As, they are distracting and one won't be able to study. One student even told me he agreed that women were being discriminated against, but that he would rather keep things the way they are. How anti-intellectual can one get? What are these people going to do when they suddenly find that they do have a responsibility to the opposite sex? These were the types of conversations that were happening on grounds before co-education. Public opinion was shifting, and many alumni and faculty members who initially opposed co-education were starting to change their minds as it got closer to 1970. And another um, very important reason for the success of coeducation was the the real screen that Ernie Earn used in choosing us. He was looking for women who could not only do the academic work, but who he thought would get very engaged in student life. That's Ann Brown again. We heard from her earlier. Later on, we, we'd been out of college 20 years. We had our first class reunion in 1994. And at that reunion, and at every reunion since, we've had a gathering just for the women in the class. And he said to us, sort of sheepishly, because I think he thought we might be a little offended, he said, you know, I didn't tell you this sooner, but I, I was looking for women who were gritty. <laughs> we all laughed and thought that was just great. <laughs> A lot of women who I've interviewed said you told them later on that you were looking for gritty women, right? What did you mean by that? Well, knowing it was going to be 
not a, a smooth pathway for the women coming in. I use the word gritty, just saying, be tough, be tough. Put your spikes on and hold your ground. In 1970, 450 women were enrolled into the College of Arts and Sciences, but that did not happen overnight. The initial plan outlined in the Woody Report was much more incremental and conservative. It required that only 100 women be enrolled in the first year and added an additional 100 each year over a 10-year period. In the next episode of Grody Women, we will situate UVA's decision to co-educate within the legal landscape of the 60s and 70s, and we will discuss the infamous lawsuit, Kirstein v. Rector and Visitors of the University of Virginia, to learn how that number went from 100 to 450. Many thanks to Anne Brown and Ernie Earn for their interviews. Reading for Richard Orion, you heard the voice of Adam Cooper. Reading from the Honor Committee study, you heard Jake Moses. Hannah Koizumi, Sonia Kapadia, and Neha Ganesan were the three female voices who read from the findings of the Woody Report. They are all current fourth years at the University of Virginia. And thank you to Mary Garner McGee, producer and digital audio coordinator at WTJU, for her editing work on this episode. Our theme music is Palms Down from Blue Dot Sessions. To learn more about the co-education movement, check out Keep the Damned Women Out by Nancy Weiss Malkiel. This podcast is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective. Thank you for listening.